Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and send them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long, doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Thank you, Reba. If you've got your Bibles open or if you've got your Bible app on your phone, do keep it to hand. We're going to be referring to the passage um, throughout. Now, before I worked for Grace Church, I worked for a fairly large, what's called a communications agency. I won't bore you with the details of what I did, but basically in this uh, workplace, it was a large open plan office with lots of different teams in it and we were all working together in this big room. Now I was there for four years, and over that sort of time, you, you get to learn a lot about your colleagues, what makes them tick, including what annoys them, uh, what annoys them. And I learned that with a couple of my colleagues, one thing that particularly annoyed them was the amount of time that some people uh, used to take breaks. And I'm thinking particularly lunch breaks at this point. Now, generally in, in UK workplaces, um, there's an expectation that you might have an hour's uh, lunch break, although I know for some people the idea of having an hour lunch break is a luxury beyond comprehension. But that is generally how it works in a lot of workplaces. But what would happen is, where, uh, where I was in my office, there would be a few people who would stretch the lunch break out a little bit. Um, they would sometimes come a little bit later back um, from going out to lunch than, than just the hour slots. And if it happened regularly, then some of my colleagues would pick up on this and no doubt they would start complaining. They'd see things like, oh, there goes Dave on his hour and a half lunch. Well, it wasn't an hour and a half, was it? It was probably maybe an, an hour and 10 minutes at most. But it was a source of frustration that people would take longer for their breaks than they should. 
Another thing that annoyed the team was when some colleagues would come in later in the morning than others, and some would even do that and leave a little bit earlier as well in the day, sort of shrinking their work hours, their office hours. Perhaps the worst examples of this were occasions when managers would leave earlier and then hand over some of their work to their workers who would then have extra things to do before they could leave at the end of the day. Now, as you can imagine, this sort of behaviour didn't go down very well. And that's understandable, isn't it? It's understandable. None of us like the idea of injustice um, and the area of work is no exception. If we sense that our colleagues are effectively being paid the same um, or doing even more sometimes for less work, and if they're taking advantage and, and shrinking down the amount of time that they're working and spending less time, it feels instinctively wrong. It feels wrong. So when we come to a parable like this, it can feel quite perplexing to us. Because not only does it describe a workplace where workers kind of don't do the same shifts, basically, but the owner who knows this still pays them the same wage, knowingly and without embarrassment. Now, this, this parable is a bit of a dangerous one, I think, to tell in a city like Manchester, one known for its socialist ideals and passion for workers' rights. Just what is Jesus' point here? He, he says that it's like the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does that tell us about what God is like? Is God unfair to his workers? Well, we're going to dig into this parable and we're going to see what it means. But we will see that this parable isn't really about how to run a business. Rather, what it does do is it tells us something important about God's heart for all his people. Something wonderful, in fact. But it also warns us. It warns us that there are some Christians, perhaps mature Christians, Christians who've been around a long time, experienced Christians, who go about their lives perhaps with a distorted and even toxic attitude towards others, other Christians who they know. So in order to find out more about what Jesus is talking about here, let's look at this parable and see what he has to say. So firstly, we're going to look at the heat of the day. The heat of the day. Now, we've read that parable, but it does come in a, a larger context in Matthew's Gospel. So in order to kind of really understand what's going on, we just need to look a few verses earlier than what we read. So if you look back at me at chapter 19, verses 27. Now, many of you will be familiar with this this part of the gospel. What's happened is Jesus has just had a conversation with the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler is somebody um, who came up to Jesus and asked him, what can I do in order to inherit eternal life? And after a conversation, Jesus says to him, you need to give up your possessions, sell all you have and come follow me. But this was something that was too much for the rich young ruler. He wasn't willing to give it all up. And so he goes away sad. And after this, Peter pipes up in verse 27 and he says this, See, we have left everything and followed you. We've given up everything. What then will we have? So Peter and the disciples, they've been following Jesus and they have given up quite a bit. They've left their jobs behind. They've left 
um, their families to some degree. They're now wandering around the country with Jesus, dependent on other people's hospitality. And they're also aware that there is mounting opposition from the religious leadership of the land. There is some cost to what they're doing. They have sacrificed. So Peter's like, what are we going to get? And Jesus answers them and he says, in many ways, you'll get quite a lot. Look at verse 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But, and Jesus adds a caveat, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So he introduces two categories of people, the firsts and the lasts. And in the parable that we've just read, what we're looking at, these two groups of people crop up. So Jesus tells this parable, and at a basic level, it's, it's fairly simple, really. There's a landowner who wants to employ workers in his vineyard. He goes at the beginning of the day, he meets some workers, he agrees with them to uh, pay them a denarius, for them to work in his vineyard, a denarius was a very fair full day's wage. So they agree to the terms and the workers come into the vineyard and, and work for the landowner. But the landowner doesn't stop there. He keeps coming back to the marketplace, the, the kind of place where you would employ workers, basically. And he goes out multiple times. He goes out at, at 9am, he goes out at midday, he goes out in the afternoon at 3pm and even at 5pm. Not long just before the, the day ends, he still goes out then and recruits more workers. And when it comes to the end of the day, he starts paying um, the workers in kind of reverse order to when they first came to the vineyard. So he starts with those who, who, who started at 5pm and he pays them the full day's wage, a denarius. And at this point, the workers who started right at the beginning of the day, probably 6am um, in the culture, they, they think, oh, this is brilliant. We're going to get more. But they don't. No matter when their workers started their jobs, they get paid the same wage each. And the workers are really upset about this. And just look at their reasoning. Verse 12. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now, in that culture, we can reason that it was prob probably a 12-hour working day, maybe around 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So the first workers started about 6 a.m., the last workers at 5 p.m. So that means that those first workers have done 12 times as much work as those who started at 5 p.m. That's a bigger burden. And those who started earlier have had to endure the heat of the day, the Middle Eastern sun beating down on them all day, all day. I was chatting with a friend of mine last week who lives in Italy, and he and his partner recently went on a cycling holiday in the island of Sardinia, which is at the south of Italy. And they had this plan that they knew it was gonna be hot because it's Italian Mediterranean summer, but they thought what they would do is they would get up early, they'd go cycling in the morning, they'd kind of stop for lunch in the afternoon, kind of chill out and hang around and then get back on the bikes in the evening when it was cooler. But they hit a, a snag, which was Sardinia is quite a hilly um, island. 
So in order to make the amount of distance that they needed to each day, they were finding they were needing to cycle further than they had originally planned. And also, because it's hilly, they're having to do lots of hard work to cycle up these hills. And so there were times where they, they, they were creeping into the, into the kind of hotter hours of the day, and the heat was so much at times that they just had to stop because they were absolutely knackered. Baking heat. And one can imagine then, thinking of a story like that, the plight of these workers in the vineyard having to work with the, the sun on their necks all day in the heat out in the vineyard. And then you've got these workers who started at 5 p.m. who missed all of that. They missed it all. And perhaps to our shock, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like this. And it shows us that when it comes to the Christian life, there are going to be those who bear more burdens. Those for whom the Christian life seems more costly. There are going to be those of us who endure more of the heat of the day, as it were, than others. There's disparity in the life experiences of Christians. And some of you know this because you experience it for yourself. Some of you know that you've devoted quite a lot of time towards Christian things and the church. You serve on rotors. You spend your time showing hospitality, putting yourself out there for your Christian friends in order to bless them. You're devoting your headspace and your energy towards Jesus' service. Others of you have had to make quite big sacrifices in order to follow Jesus. For some of you, that's meant losing friends, perhaps uh, difficult relationships with your family. For some of you, that's meant remaining single. And others of you, you've just experienced a lot of hardship and suffering, maybe poor health, just difficulties of circumstance, um, which have just been a part of following Jesus. It's, it's hard for a lot of people. To follow Jesus, it involves unique and profound hardships, bearing the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And this is particularly true, I guess, in leaderships. Those of you who've been involved in leading various ministries, you'll know that that has its burdens at times as well. And one of the things about these burdens and difficulties is that often you sense that other people don't really appreciate what you've done or what you've sacrificed or what you've been through. In some cases, they, they don't understand. Some things, you may just be going through stuff and hardships that other people don't even know about. I think of our previous Minister Mike and his family. They were here for 12 years, 12 years of ministry in this church. And in that time, you know, there will have been sacrifices and difficulties that they have carried for being Christian workers in God's vineyard that a lot of us won't have a clue about. We just don't know about them. And in this parable, Jesus affirms that there's a disparity, that there are differences in the loads we have to carry. And yet we see, you know, workers up at, what, 5 a.m. to work hard all day and then having to see others 
who seemingly breeze in at 5 p.m. and just work for an hour. They don't bear the same load. And we sort of think, well, what's that all about? <laughs> we can sympathize with the complaint of verse 12, can't we? It feels unjust. In our culture, we talk quite a bit about pay gaps, whether that's the gender pay gap or other such pay gaps. And a pay gap happens when you've got two people or two groups of people who do the same work, but they end up getting paid differently. One gets paid more than the other. And we look at this parable, it's kind of like an inside out pay gap, isn't it? Where they're not doing the same amount of work. Um, No, they are doing the same amount of, no, they're not doing the same amount of work, but they're still being paid the same. It's kind of like the the pay gap in, yeah, flipped inside out. And either way, it still feels unfair. It feels unfair. You know, one wonders whether the the Judean Vineyard Workers Union are going to have to get involved in this uh, unjust uh, situation and help solve this dispute amongst the workers. And I wonder how you sort of deal with seeing other Christians not have to deal with the same heat that you do, the same burdens. Seeing others not as committed to church as you are. Seeing others seemingly sail through their Christian lives without any difficulty when you've had to deal with considerable hardship. When you know you've sacrificed lots of your time and your energy and you just see other Christians who haven't done the same. Perhaps you feel resentful about that. A sense that this is not how it should be. You know, Jesus says some of us simply do end up bearing more of the heat of the day than others in God's kingdom. This is how it is. So are these sacrifices, are they worth anything? And what do we do about this disparity? What is it that we've missed? Well, let's step back a little bit. And before we think more about the complaining workers, let's think about those other workers, the ones who are employed later in the day. So let's look at the idea of grace for the lasts. Grace for the lasts. So there are workers who get employed not at the beginning of the day, but later on, 9 a.m., midday, even down to 5 p.m., And the landowner goes into the marketplace and he he goes to hire them and he sees that these workers are just standing around, it says, verse 3. And he says it again in verse 6, look with me. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long, doing nothing? And notice the answer they give. Because no one has hired us. Now let's just think about that for a second. Societies like this depended on daily wages. When Jesus says that we should pray, um, give us our daily bread, that wasn't just a word picture. In those days, wages were given at the end of the day, and those wages were used to buy food for the family for the following day. Okay, this is what you needed each day. So if you bear that in mind, if you are a worker who is still in the marketplace by 5 p.m. and you haven't been employed, then you are in trouble. It looks like you are going to go hungry for the day because no one has employed you. And there's more to this as well. One asks the question, well, why haven't they been employed? Well, it could be because 
there's a kind of post-pandemic recession going on in Judea, and so there's just not enough work to go around. But it's also possible that these are the workers that got passed over. These are the ones that no one else wanted. Perhaps they look a bit frail, a bit too skinny to do hard work out in the fields, not worth the business case of employing them. Well, that's difficult, isn't it? The left behinds. We know, don't we, that work gives people dignity, some form of meaningful vocation, whether it's paid or or unpaid, it gives us a sense of purpose. And to not work is a psychological blow. A few years ago, I was out, out of work for a little while. It wasn't too long. It was just a few months. But I remember one time just walking down the street and, and just feeling purposeless. I was like, what am I doing? What am I contributing to society? So not only is there a sense of vulnerability with these workers because they may not be able to put food on the table, there's also a sense of shame. It's kind of like back in school, you know, when you play sports and you had the two captains who had in front of a line of um, potential people to come on their teams. They're picking one for their team, each one, one by one. And you're hoping you're not going to be the last one to be picked because there's a sense of humiliation that goes with that. And so it's a double whammy for these 5 p.m. workers. They're vulnerable and they're kind of shamed because they've been passed over by other potential employers. Given this then... Isn't there a remarkable amount of generosity from the landowner? You know, he employs these workers who've been around all day and only have an hour left to even do anything. I mean, their output's going to be limited, isn't it? If they get employed, you know, I mean, how much work are you going to get done in an hour? For a lot of us in our jobs, you know, it takes us more than an hour just to get through all our emails. What are they going to get done? But the landowner still wants to employ them. He wants to give them work, however much or little they can carry and deal with. So they're given purpose in the vineyard. And they're given sustenance through a remarkably generous wage. Do you notice in verse 4, the landowner says to some of these later workers, I'll, I'll pay you what is right, that is what is fair. And yet by the end of the day, he's, he's been extravagant. He's given far more than what would be fair. He's given them the full day's wage, even those who've only worked for an hour. So this is no zero hours contract employer who may be stingy. It's not just a simple minimum wage situation. He rewards these later workers far more and far beyond their, their small efforts. And in this landowner, don't we see a picture of our heavenly father who brings people into his kingdom who are the most unlikely people. They may be those who are discarded by others, those who we wouldn't consider influencers or high power individuals. But the father delights to bring all sorts of people into his church. He's not like a talent spotter who's who's only out for the brightest and the best the ones with the great CVs, the impressive people. No, he welcomes those who others may pass over. He welcomes those who are vulnerable and needy, who are not impressive. And he gives them work to do. He, he gives them dignity. For every Christian, whoever they are, working in God's kingdom, they can contribute. They have something they can do. I was looking over some photos that were taken of Grace Church when we were in our, our 
uh, previous venue. Um, and there was a, a couple of great photos that show some of the kids in the church standing at the doorway, greeting people as they were coming into the hall and handing out Bibles. It's a small little little job, but it was great. You could see the smiles on people's faces. You had visitors coming in and feeling really welcomed. And I'm sure they found the whole thing quite charming, being given a Bible by these young young children. Um, but there was something meaningful about that. It, it had a real effect. It was part of the welcome of the church. And it was a great way in which these children, who perhaps couldn't do loads of impressive tasks, could actually you know, get stuck in and serve. And that principle is at, at play throughout all of God's kingdom. He uses everybody according to their ability. Everyone can contribute. Everyone has an opportunity to have that dignity of serving him in the vineyard, as it were. You know, some of us feel like we, we lack wisdom or intelligence or gifting. We might look at other Christians around us and we see them as outperforming us. And we can be discouraged because we don't feel like we have a lot to offer. And yet, whoever you are, this parable tells us that the Lord wants you. God wants you in his vineyard. And he is able to give you ways you can contribute. You're not patronized. You're given dignity. And this can happen in the most remarkable of ways. You know, we think about vineyard imagery. And, and when Jesus talks about the vineyard, he's often talking about people who will work so that others can become Christian, so that others can hear about Jesus, or so that the, the church as a whole can be built up. You could say evangelism and, and, and discipleship. And you know, for, for a really unimpressive person, evangelism might not mean much more than a slightly awkward fumbling invitation to church of a, with a friend. It might, it might just mean that. Um, discipleship and encouraging other Christians might not mean more than just a simple verse that's sent by WhatsApp to a friend who's struggling. It might not look super impressive, and yet that kind of work is given dignity and honour by the Lord. He delights in it, and he wants everyone, regardless of their comparative abilities to come into his vineyard and serve there and he is generous he's generous particularly to those who might be considered the lasts in our church you know Jesus delights to lift them up they get the same reward that is they experience the same eternal joys as any other Christian they too get the same forgiveness the same status of loved children the Christian faith is not just for elites. So if you feel like you're lower down the pecking order in the church, if you feel like you've not got loads to offer, if you feel unimpressive, perhaps you might be new in your faith um, or, or new to the church and you're trying to keep up with, with everybody else, what they're doing. Friend, please know the Lord Jesus wants to give you grace and he wants you to know that you are loved and blessed and cherished as much as any other Christian in this church or in this community. He doesn't want to patronize you. He wants to empower you so you can serve. And he honors whatever you can offer. He will not let you feel second class in the kingdom. There is grace to the lasts. Grace to the lasts. Okay, so we've seen that the Lord is generous to those lasts. But as we finish, let's just go back to those first workers. I'm just going to get it bit of water. So 
we're still left, aren't we, with the chat, with the, the complaint of, of those who worked the whole day. Um, and the question we've been left with is, is it unfair? Is it unfair that they've only been paid the same as everyone else when they've done 12 times the work in some cases? Is the landowner unjust? Well, according to Jesus, the answer is a firm no. Look at verses 13 and 14. The landowner answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. And don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Do you see the logic there? First of all, the landowner has, has not done anything wrong. He's, he's not been deceptive. He agreed with those workers that they would get paid a very fair wage for their labours. And they agreed to it. And that's what he did. Both parties accepted the terms. The issue is that the landowner decided with those other workers that he wanted to show a bit more generosity to them. But he's within his rights to do that. It's his money. He can do with it as he pleases. And in this case, what it does is it ensures that those workers who are maybe been passed over by others who are vulnerable and going hungry can get rewarded beyond their efforts, but it enables them to eat that day. Can we really be that unhappy with what the landowner has done? Is he really being that unfair? You see, according to Jesus, the problem isn't really with the landowner. The issue is with the, the attitude of those first workers, the ones who are the firsts in this story. It says in verse 11 that they grumbled. They were grumbling. And you see, lurking behind their grumbling is this idea and assumption that they have certain rights. Rights to receive more pay for having done more work. Rights to recognition in a special way for having toiled in the heat. In other words, it's a salvation by sacrifice. I've given this much. I've worked this hard. I've suffered this amount. And so I deserve something. The workers want to trade in like poker chips all their labours, all their sacrifices, all the things that it's cost them so they can get their due. Because the assumption is that they've earned it. And I think we're all like this sometimes, aren't we? You know, we feel entitled to receive something for the sacrifices we've made for Jesus and his kingdom. I know it's easy for me to think that. Um, feel like that, you know, perhaps serving on a staff team at a church means that God should pat me on the back more or something. But the problem is, this is a, a wrong principle. And we know we operate on this principle, this salvation by sacrifice principle, when we look down on others who haven't done as much as us. If we resent those who have not borne the same heat of the day we have in the church, it's evidence we've got it wrong. But you see, what's happened here is that the firsts have missed something important. And they've, and they've missed this. All that we receive from God, all that we receive from God, 
is undeserved. It's undeserved. Regardless how much or how little we've worked, how much we've sacrificed, it's any, any benefit from God is undeserved. You see, we don't get placed on a podium slightly higher than those next to us for having sacrificed more. Because our sacrifices don't earn us status. It's, it's as if we're, we're playing a game when we serve God in this way, but we're playing by the wrong rules. We, we think that our hard work is going to set us apart in God's favour, when that's just not how things work in God's vineyard. You see, the truth is none of us deserve anything from God. And in this way, God isn't actually really our employer in that sense. We don't come to him first as workers. We come to him first as sinners. Those who have not kept his laws, those who have not given him what he deserves, we've not loved him, we've not loved our, our neighbours as ourselves. We come first of all as sinners who depend entirely on his grace and favour. And, and this is why you know, we shouldn't use this parable as an example of how to run a business or how to pay our workers. The relationship is different. When we come to God straight away, we're not just purely workers, we begin as sinners. So we don't deserve employees' rights. We deserve death. We deserve to be shut out of the kingdom of heaven forever. You see, firsts tend to forget that they've received grace as well. As much grace, actually, as any of the other workers, even those who have sacrificed less, sacrificed less. You know, whether you've been brought into the vineyard at 5am or 5pm, actually, considering who we are before God, it's a miracle we're in the vineyard at all. We should be in the prison. And so those who want to bring attention to their own efforts and work on this principle of salvation by sacrifice, they've, they've, they've just missed it. They've missed the big picture. Let's go back to Peter again. Remind ourselves, you know, verse, verse 27 of chapter 19. Jesus and Peter have this interaction. And Peter says this, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now just think about who Peter is speaking to here. He's speaking to Jesus Christ. He's speaking to the man who is on his way to Jerusalem to die. He's going to make the biggest sacrifice in history. Jesus is God who has become man, taken on flesh, taken on humanity, who's come to earth. He lived a life in poverty. He endured insults and mockery. He was betrayed and sent to a cross where he died for the sins of all his people, including Peter's. He bore the wrath of his heavenly father in the place of his people and died in agony. He's made the greatest sacrifice anyone could make. And if Peter had grasped that, how could he, could, could he have had any grounds for complaint? And do we have any grounds for complaint when we compare ourselves with other Christians? 
You know, whatever we've sacrificed, we have not sacrificed more than Jesus. But this is the thing. Jesus sacrificed not so that he could compare himself with others to look down on them or to gain more honour. He already had all the honour in heaven. He sacrificed precisely so he could bring the weak and the sinful and the lasts into his kingdom. When we know that, this is what our Saviour has done. Like, How can we grumble about those who have sacrificed less than we have? None of us deserve anything. It's all of grace. And if the Lord wants to show the same honour, the same forgiveness, the, the same welcome to those Christians who have seemed to have borne less than us, well, that's, that's his prerogative. That's his grace. And actually, there's something wonderful about that because there isn't hierarchy in God's kingdom. We all see ourselves just as brothers and sisters who've been brought into his kingdom just by his mercy. Now, I should probably say at this point that that doesn't mean that the costs that we bear for the Christian life mean nothing or that Jesus doesn't care about them. And, you know, many of us, we, we bear the burdens of this life with an eye on the future, don't we? We look forward to that day when Jesus will come back and restore the world, that this life in all its brokenness will be healed and made whole, when every tear will be wiped from our eyes. That's, that's what we're looking forward to. And we, we deal with difficulties in this life with the hope that things will be better in the future. And that is entirely right. That is entirely right. It will be worth it in the end. Of course it will. Whatever sacrifice we make, whatever struggle we go through. You know, in that, in that final world of peace and harmony, without suffering or pain, none of us will feel shortchanged, whether we're lasts or firsts. We, we won't feel shortchanged. You see, that denarius... It represents just eternal life that is open to all of God's children. All of those who trust in Jesus will receive it. We won't feel shortchanged, but there is no leaderboard or Olympic rankings in God's kingdom. There is no one who can say that they're better or more impressive than another Christian. There is no looking down on um, others. We are all only there by his grace only there by his grace. So yes, the Lord, of course, he is compassionate towards you. The things that you struggle through, the sacrifices you make, he cares about them, he values them, and he is pleased with your efforts. But please don't use them to compare yourself to others. Don't use them as a chance to gain more recognition or status. Don't operate on a salvation by sacrifice principle. That poisons even the good works that we do, and that is to forget God's grace. See, rather, wisdom and joy comes when we see that at some level all of us are lasts. All of us are. None of us are worthy. All of us are needy. Now, even Peter, who made this great demand um, about what he was going to get, A few chapters later, is denying Jesus three times. (laughs) He's needy. We're all needy. We're all failures. We're dependent only 
on the Heavenly Father's grace, but he is generous to all of us. He's generous. This is what we need to remember. So as we finish then, let's just look at verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Another translation puts it, do you begrudge my generosity? And that's a question that's asked to each of us today, each of us as Christians. Do we begrudge the fact that God is generous with others, perhaps others who haven't done as much as us or haven't sacrificed as much? Who are the Christians in this church that you would be tempted to look down on, tempted to grumble against? Please, today, say sorry, turn to God, turn away from that behaviour, ask for his forgiveness. Please turn away from any of that sort of ranking that sees you higher than others. That's not how God operates in his kingdom. Ask for forgiveness and why not pray for them that God would bless them. You know, the Lord does not love you more than he loves other children in his kingdom. You're not going to get more status or rank than they are. There's there's love for all of us, but we're all on, on a level, all needy of his grace. And that's something that we need to remember. Let's pray, shall we? Father, please forgive us for thinking that our efforts and our sacrifices have earned us more status or made us better than other Christians. Lord, forgive us for when we've looked at others and looked down on them, thinking that we're better than them. Lord, please help us to remember that it is a privilege to be in your vineyard. And it's only because of your grace that you've shown through Jesus who paid that ultimate sacrifice, a a greater sacrifice than any of us have made so that we could come in. Lord, where there are hints and roots of pride in our hearts and in our church, please expose them. Show them to us so that we can turn away from them and repent and turn to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.